I really actually enjoyed putting this this reflection together today um, and this week reflecting on this passage because it's uh, it's such a good day. It's such a good day. Um, there has been a tradition that has gone back thousands of years where somebody stands up in a community of Christians and says the words, He is risen, and everybody else responds with... He is risen indeed. Well done. Tick. Um, so there we go. There's a practice. Um, here we go. You ready? He is risen. He is risen Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It could, it could have some more oomph, but it, it was a good start. Um, we're in Luke 24. Um, if you want to get out your Bibles on your apps or if you carry a hard copy, welcome to the new age. Um, on your phones, Luke 24. We're starting at verse 1. Um, uh, this is uh, a passage Jesus has died the disciples are in grief um, and we jump into Luke chapter 24 let me read it for you on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He is risen. Well done, well done. Love a bit of call and response, audience participation, it's the worst, hey. <laughs> uh, um, uh, today is an exciting day. Uh, in the Christian calendar, Easter is one of the, the great pinnacles. It's the moment that we've rallied around for thousands of years. It's an exciting day because he's risen. It's also an exciting day for our little congregation, for our church, New City Church. Today, as Sammy said, uh, is the first day that we're kind of opening up, if you will. Um, And so if this is your first time here, or second, or third, or or you consider yourself newish by any stretch, let me just extend a really warm welcome to you and say, uh, as Sammy said, we want this to be a safe space. Um, Steph kind of hinted that there's, there's so many different ways to understand what's happening on the cross, uh, what is taking place. And I hope that here you can explore that explore what, what does it mean that Jesus died? What does it mean that Jesus rose? And as Eddie and Eric were, were sharing, um, there's so many ways that that is deeply applicable to our lives. So I, I hope that you um, find this a space where you can explore that um, and, and genuinely do so. 
Um, it's exciting for us as a community because for the past eight months, nine months, 12th of July, 2020, we started gathering and uh, we wanted to create a community that was safe, that was centered on Jesus, that was grounded in a community that was authentic, that loved one another well, and we wanted to create a bit of a cushion so that people uh, in Sydney and beyond could know that there is a space that they could call home. Um, the vision of New City Church, we've spoken about, about it a fair bit, is that all would find refuge and life in Jesus. Uh, all would find refuge and life in Jesus. Um, the refuge bit we've spoken about for the past eight weeks. What does it mean that God is our refuge? What does it mean that we are refuge for one another? And this week we kind of shift gear to look at the second part of that, that vision, uh, that all would find refuge and life. Today is all about life uh, because he is risen. Well done, well done. Yeah, it's the last time I'll do it, I promise, I promise. Um, it is an ancient tradition, believe it or not. Like, it's really deep, and we're like, whatever. Um, uh, um, so, moving forward, um, I just want to offer three reflections. I'm not going to speak for too long, um, because I think the magic happens when we share amongst ourselves at the pub and uh, afterwards about what, what does this mean for us. I'm going to share three reflections around, first, the idea of life, and in particular, new life, Second one is liminal spaces. We'll get to that. Um, and the third one is, what does it mean to be transformed? That, that's where we're heading. So life, liminal spaces, transformation. Uh, this is, in every way, a day of celebration and life. Um, New City Church is opening. New City Church is here. We want people to know that life with Jesus is beautiful because it's a core foundational message of the Christian faith. Uh, that, as we've heard, Jesus is alive. Uh, we follow a king, we follow a deity, the divine, who exists, who is living and breathing. Uh, what sets Christianity apart from some philosophies, from some religions, is that Christianity doesn't believe in a, a force per se, uh, a universe per se, but the divine, at least according to Christianity, is personified. The divine feels, the divine breathes, the divine, dare we say it, loves. Uh, Christianity has at its core a life that stems from love. And so at the crux of Christianity, Going around the universe over and over and over again are these concepts of life and love that emanate from the divine. Uh, and that's what we see, is it not, on Good Friday? And that's what we see on Easter Sunday today. Uh, it's this overflow of divine love. Uh, this evening, we cast our mind back to that moment um, early in the morning when the women came to the tomb. The stone is rolled away, the entrance is opened, and an angel of the Lord appears and says, why? why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here in a graveyard looking for the one that is living and breathing? It's the wrong place. You've made a categorical error about what it means to follow Jesus. We don't look for Jesus amongst the graveyard, we look for Jesus amongst 
the living. He's not here, he's risen. And that's the nature of the kingdom of God, isn't it? Uh, as we've just heard, uh, God is in the business of bringing new life. Uh, God is in the business of bringing beauty out of darkness, uh, of bringing hope out of despair, of bringing life out of... That, that's, the, that's the pattern of this God. Over and over again in history, we see it. There is despair and God brings hope. There is death and God brings life. That, that's, that's the type of work that God does because it is just emanating from the character of God, life and love. Um, and so for, for me, when I think about well, what, what, is, what does this look like? What does it mean that God brings life? Um, uh, one of the most frequently used metaphors in the Bible for the kingdom of God is a banquet, a feast. Um, and I, I love that image, partly because I love food, um, uh, but, but also because of what it symbolizes. Uh, it's this abundance. It's a banquet where you can hear the tables groaning under the weight of the turkey. Um, the, the chairs are gathered ready to fill up with guests. Uh, and this table just goes on and on and on with every sort of good food that you could possibly imagine. And it just keeps going for on into eternity. And God opens up the doors wide and says, come on in. Uh, come on in. This is your feast. Uh, this is your feast that I've prepared for you. And at the cross, we saw that Jesus poured out the blood but on Easter Sunday, we see that Jesus was raised to life again, such that there is a never-ending source of goodness. Uh, that feast just keeps going on and on. And so as Jesus prepares this feast, we start to realize that it's just going to keep flowing. And it's just going to keep flowing and flowing. Uh, and the kingdom of heaven is never going to end. Because that's the type of life that we have with Jesus. Jesus describes it in John 10 as life to the full or abundant life. Um, I love that. I love that we serve a God who is just so full of life. It's impossible for God not to keep giving life. It's impossible for God not to keep giving love. That, that's, just the, that's just the type of God that we serve. How is that? How much would it have sucked if Jesus had died and just stayed dead? It would have been just really disappointing. Like, you know, like all our hope, like this God, like, oh, awkward. Like, that's, but no, we, we serve a God who is alive. And because, uh, because Jesus has gone into death, the Bible describes that relationship as, as though Jesus has been victorious over death, uh, that Jesus has been victorious over everything that death represents, the decay, the pain, the grief, the mourning. Jesus has the victory. So I guess where does that leave us today then? Um, if Jesus has the victory... Why is it that sometimes life just feels really painful? Um, 
If Jesus has the victory, if this life is abundant and overflowing, why is it that pain still exists? Because we, we live in a truly beautiful world, don't we? But there's still ugliness. And we, we live in a truly glorious universe, but there's still parts that we don't love, and rightly so. Um, So this is where I'm going to head into a a reflection on liminal spaces, because I think it's really important for us to just be honest uh, and not sugarcoat the world, uh, not sugarcoat our faith, uh, not sugarcoat the promises that Jesus makes, uh, as though from now on, if you tick this dotted line where Jesus says, you follow me and everything's going to be fine, that's that's not how this works. Um, That's not how the resurrection life at this point works. Um, On Friday night... Um, the other night we had a service of shadows, uh, and it was a really beautiful, reflective time. Um, service of shadows isn't for everyone. Um, it's done in the dark. It's silence. Uh, there's lots of reflective time. Uh, it, the way it works is down the middle of the room, there's seven tables lined up. And as the hour or so goes on, we go through the last 12 hours of Jesus' life, and at each passage that we read, another candle is blown out. So first, Jesus goes through the shadow of betrayal as Judas betrays him. Then goes through the shadow of agony as he's arrested, the shadow of denial with Peter, accusation, the shadow of death, and finally, the shadow of burial. And as we finish with that, the shadow of burial, um, the last candle's blown out, um, and the room goes to darkness. As a way of, uh, as a way of representing the, the pain that Jesus went through, uh, but also the very real pain that we experience, um, the, the darkness that Jesus had to endure, but we can only recognize that pain because we see that pain in ourselves. Um, we see the pain of betrayal in our world. Uh, we, we understand the pain of friendships shattered. Uh, we know the pain of humiliation. Um, we grasp that. Uh, the sting of death is real. Um, and it's so real in our world, in our lives, day in, day out. And so we follow Jesus through that um, and as we follow Jesus through that, we remember that Jesus follows us through that. And then at the, at the last moment, um, we light a candle. Uh, the last candle that was blown out, uh, we relight. And the reason we do that is because we recognize that on Good Friday there was death. But there's a glimmer of hope. Uh, There's a glimmer of something to come. And that's the liminal space. That's the liminal space. You can imagine on Saturday, the disciples woke up. Mary and the women with her woke up. And they wonder, was it a dream? Was it a nightmare? Has this really happened? Um, This person that we put all our hope in, uh, this person that we followed religiously for years, 
This one who is supposed to be the bringer of freedom, the one who is supposed to overthrow the empire, cast off the shackles of sin, the one who is supposed to bring us hope and life, is dead. And on Saturday, there is this grief that we sit in that is tangible. And we find ourselves in a similar liminal space, I think. Because we've seen that Jesus has been raised to life. We know that death has been conquered. We know that sin has no power, that sting has been taken away. But yet we live in a world where the kingdom of God is still coming. It's here, but it's still coming. And it's a different sort of liminal space. Where there's betrayal, there is and there will be restoration. Where there's agony, there is and there will be healing. Where there's denial, there is and there will be truth-telling. Where there's accusation, there is and there will be freedom. Where humility exists, humiliation exists, there is and there will... Do we see what I'm saying? It's this tension where we celebrate. We celebrate because Christ is risen. And now we start to live like the kingdom of God is breaking in. Like the kingdom of God really is good news because one day the age that we're in will fade away and the new age will come. And in that day, Christ promises that every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more because the kingdom will be fully present. I think I was was tossing up whether or not to include this in this talk because Easter is a day of celebration. Um, Easter Sunday is a day where we cheer, we proclaim he is risen, and we're not supposed to think about reality on Easter. Like, but, but here we are. Um, it's important just to, to name it and say these things are real. Um, and something that we say quite a bit here is that as Christians, part of our calling, part of our task, and part of the gift that we have is to be people who paint a better future. Uh, people who imagine what it's like to have a better tomorrow and then start working towards that. Because of all people, if you believe that there is a better tomorrow, of all people, we are the ones who can start walking into that. Uh, We are the ones who who can hold that up as a hope. And that's a gift. That's, That's nothing to be sneezed at. That is profound. And that is hopeful. And that is life-giving, and that is joy-bringing, and that is love-filled, and that is justice-oriented, and that is all the good things. And so when we say, look, there is still pain, that's not to diminish the cross. That's to say, we actually get to play a part in fulfilling this whole task of bringing God's kingdom. And it brings us in, and it honors the pain that we're experiencing. It honors the pain that Jesus went through, and it honors our reality. And so, yes, Easter Sunday, he is risen, he is risen indeed. We're still in this liminal space in some senses, aren't we? Um, 
But we're in this liminal space, not as those who despair, but as those who have hope. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. So the final reflection I want to offer is the idea of transformation. In the book of John, uh, the author goes into a little bit more detail in this storyline than the author Luke gives us. And he gives us a, a second encounter that Luke doesn't record in which Mary Magdalene, who is a faithful disciple of Jesus throughout his ministry, is weeping at the grave and she sees Jesus. And at first she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Um, And she says, I don't know where they've laid my Lord's body. And Jesus responds and calls her by her name. And she, how powerful is a name? How powerful it is to be seen. Because she recognizes him at that point. Jesus knows us. Uh, And and, and at that point, she recognizes Jesus and says, Rabbi, my, my teacher. And she says, as she runs back to the five disciples, five words, five, five short words that have transformed history. Here they are. I have seen the Lord. That's it. That's what she says. She runs back to the people who are waiting in this room, the upper room, cowering with fear because of what could happen with the ramifications of everything that's just happened. Cowering, And she runs back to them and she declares, I have seen the Lord. This is Mary Magdalene. Uh, Historically, many traditions have seen her as the apostle to the apostles, the the original apostle, if you will. She's the one who, along with the other women, spoke the gospel first. And the men scarcely believe her. Mm. In our passage, the men do not believe the women. Gosh, how's that for an application this Sunday? Um, Believe women. Yeah, it's simple. Believe women. And there is so much written about the fact that women were the first to receive the gospel. The good news of I have seen the Lord was first entrusted to females. And, and that happened in an age when the word of the women was not taken as seriously as the word of the men. Tragically, and, and God, in God's wisdom, gave that word to the women. And so these women run to the men, proclaim, I've seen the Lord. And what do the men do? Zilch. They keep hiding. They keep hiding because they can't yet believe what they have heard. But the message, the message that Mary brings, I have seen the Lord... That sparks a movement. Um, that sparks a movement that would go on from generation to generation to generation around the world. And this movement would inspire more art, uh, more passion, more drive, um, more war, uh, more violence, because people feel so passionately about this message. Uh, It would inspire a greater tidal wave of something than perhaps any other idea in the history of humanity. Perhaps any other person. It it would inspire this movement, I have seen the Lord. And over time, those, those men came to believe and they had their lives transformed as well. Um, And what we see is this 
radical transformation. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're talking 2,000 years ago, ancient Israel, they're, they're gathered in these upper rooms terrified because the Romans are occupying their land, they're paying absorbent taxes, they're totally oppressed, uh, they're, they're cowering in a corner, and now, a week later, they are boldly proclaiming hope. They go from hiding from the powers that are moving around them to facing up to those powers and saying, you can't get away with these abuses anymore. Um, They go from being timid and tired to those who are courageous and renewed. Um, And and history will show us how that snowballed um, because of this transformation. Something about the resurrection of Jesus transformed them. Something about the fact that they had seen the Lord transform them. Something about the idea that there is, there's more to life than what I can see here. There's more to humanity to what I can taste right now. There's more to humanity to just, than just this 80 years that I have on this world. There's something bigger There's something more. There's a greater history. There's a greater story that's being told. And all of a sudden, I'm wrapped up in that story, and I have been transformed. And that brings them out to throw caution to the wind and risk everything in order that everyone else might discover this life. Everyone else might discover this abundance. Everyone else might discover the love that just keeps on flowing from this God of love and life that the hearers believe that they have heard. Does that make sense? It's such a radical transformation. Um, We have this abundant new life. uh, We have this liminal space. And then we have transformation. And the Bible has a really beautiful word for this transformation that Um, I don't know about you, but many traditions have kind of butchered in some way. Uh, The word is metanoia, uh, and it's translated in most of our English Bibles to repentance. Uh, And the way that repentance is often used within churches is, oh, you're going to do something bad? Stop! Repent! Um, And, you know, that's a fine use of the word, uh, but it doesn't quite capture everything that could be captured in this idea. In fact, it doesn't even get to half of it. It kind of doesn't do justice to what it needs to have. Metanoia is this idea of turning away from something to go to something better. So, for example, if I'm trying to look after my health and I see hot chips on the menu, I could turn around and see fried chicken, but it's not going to help my health. Yeah, I'm I'm at this point just turning away from the chips and I'm not doing myself anything good. Um, I'm just punishing myself so that I don't eat the chips. A far better way of thinking about it is, okay, I could turn away from this pile of greasy chips towards this feast that God has prepared. And so it's this concept of turning to something glorious, to something beautiful, to something life-giving, to something soul-fulfilling, to something that brings joy and hope and goodness And that's the transformation that we see. Uh, That's the transformation that uh, many Christians have experienced. Um, And that's the transformation that inspires so much of the literature and the art that comes from the Christian tradition. And for Mary, it was summed up in those five words. 
I have seen the Lord. Let's land this. Uh, our hope our hope is that New City Church will be, uh, to steal Jesus' metaphor, uh, like a city on a hill, um, in which people on the plains can see from a distance, whether it's daytime or nighttime, they can see that off in the distance there is a safe harbor that they can land at, a place that they can go to, flee to if needed, and find healing. This Easter, for me, as I've been reflecting on what does it mean for New City Church to be that, that city, um, it, it's come down to those, those three ideas uh, for me. It's, it's that we are a place that proclaims that Jesus brings life, and it is good life, and it is abundant life. And yes, while we're in this chapter of humanity, we still feel pain, and so we carry one another. We care for one another. We look out for one another. We take one another to coffee. We grieve with one another. And we do that not as people who have no hope, but as people who have the greatest hope. And we keep reminding each other of that. And finally, um, we, we stand together and we just remind ourselves every now and then, I've seen Jesus um, I, I've been caught up in this bigger narrative. Um, I, I've, I've discovered that there is something beautiful that I can give myself to uh, that is soul-fulfilling. And that is something of a rallying cry. Uh, life, liminal space, transformation. Um, we have a, a um, I don't know, not a policy? I don't know what, uh, we have a practice here that where we don't kind of land and give a whole bunch of applications um, to say this is, you know, having heard these three reflections, this is what you need to go out and do tomorrow. That, we just feel like that isn't a particularly helpful way of doing this. What we love to do is kind of throw these ideas at, and we've already started the conversation with Eddie and Eric, to say, well, what, how does this then transform your life? Um, how does this then affect your life? If this is something you believe, what does it mean? If this is something you don't believe, what questions do you have? If this is something you're struggling with, how can we just get alongside you and journey with you as you struggle with it? Um, so in this sense, I'm, I'm just going to stop here. I'm going to pray and hand it over to you and say, look, at some point through the rest of the night, in the weeks to come, months to come, as we just keep doing community, what does it mean for you uh, to be full of the life that Jesus offers? Um, is it something you desire? Um, is it something that you want but you just can't quite grasp? Talk about that. Um, maybe you feel this liminal space and it's really hard for you. Um, or maybe it's okay for you at the moment and you can support someone else who's in that liminal space. I don't know. Over to you. Um, or this transformation. Um, what, what does that look like for you? That, that's such a question that I want to ask everyone here. Um, but now's not the time. That, that's for church time, when we go to the pub, when we hang out with one another. I'm going to pray for us, though, right now, that as we think about those three things, we would have Jesus with us. God, you are truly the God of life. For three days, you were in the tomb, Jesus. But death could not hold you down because you are the mighty victor. And as you rose, you made a mockery of death and declared that death would not have the final say because you are the God of life. 
And God, as we live here in this space, as this church, we recognize that we're waiting for this kingdom to come into its full fruition in all its glory. And as we wait, we feel the pain of this world, this liminal space. God, help us to wait faithfully. Help us to wait as those who have hope. And God, when that is hard, we thank you that we have a community that we do that with, that we don't do this alone. We don't do this on our own. We do that with one another. And God, I want to thank you that you are in the business of transformation, of bringing beauty out of pain, hope out of despair, life out of death. God, we long for that transformation, not just amongst ourselves, but in our church, in our city, in our country, in our world, because we want all people to discover this abundant life that Jesus offers, the refuge that you are. Oh God, be with us as we keep journeying beyond Easter Sunday into the rest of our lives, reflecting on that goodness that you have given. Amen.